Hi, I'm Lucas DeQuinz here. I'm filling in for Joel for this intro because his voice box exploded. Always oh, just sick. One of those. Sorry, I don't have his velvety tones. On today's episode, Joel and Ian interview Jay Kristoff. Kristoff is the award-winning author of The Lotus War, The Illuminae Files, and Nevernight. The Nevernight Chronicles. He is an Aurealis Award winner and has been a nominee for the David Gamble Morningstar and Legend Awards. He has been published in a dozen countries. In the media section of the podcast, the three talk about a myriad of topics, including House of Cards, Daredevil Season 2, Kurt Russell, Batman vs Superman, and The West Wing. For the topic, it's focused on where fantasy is at currently, the trends, themes, the tones that make up the genre's evolution up to where it is now. As always, if you got any questions, don't hesitate in contacting Joel on mailbox at thepenandjoel.com. Thanks. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. Today we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore and I am joined by my co-host, Ian. Ian Leaking. Mm. I never see your full name, Ian. That's why, all right. Why, why do you think that is? I just feel like uh, I've got one of those names like Beyonce, uh, you know, Justin. No. No? Okay. No. Well... Maybe it's not that. <laughs> I think it's just I'm used to you, so yeah. it's just respect kind of just flies out the window, and it's That's just okay. Ian. Yeah, you know. I, I think if you were to go out there and say, "Hey," and here's my guest Ian, people would be like, "And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it doesn't have yeah. quite yeah. the same gravity not, not, as not the same ring." You yeah. can't drop it like saying, "And here's my guest Beyonce." Boom, you don't know. Here's my guest Ian. Yeah. Nah. Is there okay? Here's a question for you: Are there one-word author names? Well, Tolkien. Know, no, no, but it's a surname. Oh, surname. I mean, like, a no. pen name that someone has manufactured into making it their, their full-on name, like Beyonce or... I, I mean, know. George, when you, spoke, when you speak about George, everyone yeah. kind of knows who you're it's talking true. about. That would be the closest I could think of, actually. If you said George, most people would assume R.R. Martin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank God. I just said that and I was like, oh, please tell is me that's what you mean. Tell me that's what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, George is probably the closest you'd get, right? I can't think of any others. That's a curveball, Joel. Really early it on. It is a yeah. He is almost mm. a home brand now, though. I mm. I was lucky enough to do Supernova with him a couple of years ago. Yeah, mm. and he gets recognised walking down the street. Yeah, like baristas come out of coffee bars and say, "Oh my God, you wrote Game of Thrones!" Like <laughs> wow. he, he is a phenomenon. So. Yeah, Does he, is he wearing the hat the whole time as well? Uh, he, alternates. he alternates. He, he seems to always have the braces. The yep. braces yes. thing he does a lot, but the hat is. Very, it's on his mood, I think. Mm. Yeah, interesting. There interesting. you go. He's a lovely dude, though. He's one of the coolest authors I've ever seen interact with his fans. And he's been doing it like 20, 25 years. He's used to it. Yeah. And he doesn't have to by any stretch. Like, he's more famous than God, but he still kind of. He does takes, the gig. Yeah, he takes time out to, to speak to everyone who comes up to him. He's, he's amazing to watch. And I tell you what, if you ever want your ego crushed. <laughs> Sit in a signing line yeah, next, next to George. Oh, oh, that's just wrong. His, yeah. his lines have their own postcard. Yeah, it no. just goes <laughs> forever. That's, they disappear yeah. over the curvature of the <laughs> Somewhere in the distance. Damn. Yeah, no. That should never be a thing. Yeah, that's it's homely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, I imagine it would be. I'll come um, back to George later, I think. That's they, good. they call him uh, the humble, but welcome Jay Kristoff to the, yeah. to hey. the podcast. Yeah, so. we didn't introduce me. Hello. <laughs> there you go. How you I doing? I just jumped the gun. No, it's fine. I, t- I warned you. <laughs> this is going to go badly. We're glad All you, we glad you <laughs> No, that's a wonderful anecdote. It's really interesting. I um, There was a documentary about Neil Gaiman uh, mm. last year. Right. Um. And it was talking about his last signing to it, like the last big one that he yeah, was okay. going to do because it was mm. taking a lot of time out of his writing life. Um, and just like following him around the country, it was a very interesting documentary and gave like an insight into, you know, the media life that he has to Yeah, go I through. mean, yeah. talking about George, I got to watch mm. him for a weekend. Mm. Yeah. What that guy's life is like. Mm. Yeah. It's a completely different level. And I actually, I, I got a chance to speak to him a little bit and mm. I'll never forget this. He said, the money's great, but you can keep the fame. Yeah. yeah. Like the fact that he can't walk across like LAX without getting stopped 50 times yeah. before he gets to his flight. Yeah. Like the fact that, I mean, it's cool the first time a barista comes out of a coffee shop in Adelaide to say, hey, you're George R. Martin, yeah. I love your stuff. But the 7,000th yeah. time, I imagine it would get pretty tough you just want yeah. to just want to get pretty your goddamn tiring, coffee yeah. and go you know? <laughs> yeah yeah hmm. oh there you go you know it's weird um i i remember um 
I remember this author telling me that writing is more public these days because people enjoy the spectacle of the person yeah, mm. even more than they do of the writing. Like the writing is important, but the personality is just, mm. it sticks in your mind almost longer, right? Yeah, I agree totally. Um, I mean, that, I think that's come through the rise of social media. Yeah. yeah. And Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and yeah. all those channels that people have to interact with an author, whereas before you could just send a fan letter and yeah. maybe get a boilerplate response. Whereas yeah. now... You can mm. talk to the person in real time if if they're willing to interact with you on that level. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Some but authors do that much better than others as well. And definitely. Like some of the authors out there, you know, um, I think about on on Twitter especially, as we all know, Twitter being the uh, the home of authors online. Yeah. Um, it's it's fascinating. But someone like J.K. Rowling, for example, who obviously has achieved su- superstar fame through her writing, but her her um, presence on Twitter is extremely interactive with fans and really. I just yeah, it's it's something else to witness. I, mm. I I read a really interesting article. I think it was on the Guardian a couple mm. of months ago about Joe Rowling on Twitter mm. and how I don't know she she seems to have polarized a number of people by stating openly her political views and yep. whatnot. And it's this author was of the opinion she had almost taken the shine off herself. Like mm. before, she was this almost demigoddess you yeah know? yeah you but did, now she's you, human right and yeah she because she had views occasionally yeah. saying things that you don't agree with and occasionally saying things that put her in a different frame that you held her in before and yeah, yeah. It, it's really interesting yeah um the idea of someone is always more entertaining or more true Oh, definitely. Yeah, than yeah. The, yeah. Than the person themselves. Never right? meet your heroes. Never meet yeah. your heroes. <laughs> Never <laughs> meet your heroes. But now we heroes. just we, you know, there's no way not to. Right. In in one way because of I social mean, media. I right? mean, you're you're meeting a version of them. Yeah. You're, you're mm. meeting the version that they want to sell you. Yeah. All you know about anyone online yeah. is what they yeah. sell you. But yeah, people. It's really interesting to watch the people who do it well and the people who do it badly. Yeah. The yes, people right. do it badly tend to crash and burn pretty quickly. But <laughs> and, and I think they burn the fans quite hard too. And I think mm. pe- it does stick in people's minds. Like um, there was this writer, no names, uh, to a festival and mm. they were talking about their um, novel series. And mm. somebody asked the question, you know, Tolkien, you know, do you, do you think you would... Um, you're more popular than Tolkien. Now, <laughs> now, now I've set there the question only, up. You there is of, only one right answer. To yeah, question. there's only yeah. one right answer. Um, and the thing is that he had sold, you know, a ton. Sure. Right? This wasn't a small time, you know, yeah. author. This was a big name. Right. Mm. And he said, well, obviously, because I've sold more. Ooh. You know. Wow. And there wasn't an applause or, just you know, silence. silence. Oh. Because people were just uncomfortable awkward. cough in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's just such a... And it was said in such an aggressive manner. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, you may have outsold the guy, but he kind of invented <laughs> yeah. as He invented what you How many yeah. words have you invented recently? Yeah. Well, I mean, he did write his own language, but he also yeah. kind of invented our idea of oh, what fantasy, what fantasy yep. is. Like, yep. I'm after this podcast, I'm going over my buddy's house and playing D&D. Yeah. We wouldn't be doing that if it wasn't for Tolkien. Oh, like, absolutely. I'm not sure whoever this guy was that he could claim the same. I mean, if mm. it was William Gibson, maybe, and you were going over and friends place to play cyberpunk, but yeah, probably not to the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, that was a tangent and a half, that but was, that yeah, was, it was good. entertaining. Yeah. Um, let's get into the media section. Let's start with you, Ian. What have you been yeah. imbibing? Well, the last few times I, I actually have been, I'm getting through the same series, so um, I'm getting right through the office american office um which has been really interesting mm-hmm. um and their writers have a lot of good things to say about the writing and the best thing i'm enjoying is that the it's got to the stage now uh, and i know that uh, michael scott um you know steve carell's character leaves for the last couple of seasons it's actually got to the stage now i think i'm fifth season or sixth season where the show's outgrown the main original draw card which was this awkward horrible boss mm. and that's been really interesting to observe because whenever he's on i feel like it's not actually adding a lot to the storylines now which is yeah. a huge credit to the work that the writers did to build this char- the characters they had so yeah that's been really interesting i'm, I'm really enjoying uh getting through that mm-hmm. uh and also the unbreakable kimmy schmidt has come back and so i'm getting through more of yeah. that as well again writing has got stronger this season so those are the TV shows, um, but movie-wise, uh, the biggest one that I saw was Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Oh, how was it? I really enjoyed it. Um, my wife was not sold, but I went in looking from like, I was kind of sitting there, not analyzing too much, but I really wanted to have a look at kind of the plot, and I felt like the plot was really tight. 
Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought Excellent. it was good. Have I have not yet seen it. You no. have not seen it, Jay. All right, because no if spoils. you had, then we yeah we would we would dig in a little bit. But yeah, I, I, I mean, you can spoil me. I, I don't imagine there's anything hugely earth shattering. Yeah, <laughs> no, I well, could be wrong. Jesus. Spoilers with the Guardian stories, they're pretty simple. Yeah, and, sure. Yeah, you know, there's not a lot happening in them. Did um, Thanos turn out to be Star Lord's father? Or, uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the big <laughs> Act Three reveal. No, uh, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> oh, really? Uh, All right. Um. Yeah, no, I've I've seen Guardians as well, the second one, and I thought mm. it was better than the first. I thought, um, mm. simply because they embraced the silliness that they they tentatively mm. went into with the first one, because right. they were going into the Marvel universe and being like, oh, you know, people take these quite seriously. Mm. Um, but then here's this weird offshoot, you know, comic line that n- not everyone has heard of, mm. and turning into a household name. Yeah, um, number two. They brought a lot of actors into the story that I have a personal affinity to only oh. because of, like, you know, <laughs> the movies they were in. You know, yeah. um, like, Kurt Russell was in oh, there. Oh, man, I love Kurt And it's just yeah, like, Kurt I Russell. adore that man, you yeah. know? And I've seen him in, you know, classic westerns and obviously Escape from New York. Mm, and old school stuff. John yeah. Carpenter, yeah. Yeah, so best. good. Um, Although they're remaking Big Trouble in Little China. I've heard that. Yeah. And I I think Kurt Russell came out and said that, you know, some things should be left alone. I don't know if that was the film he was talking about. (laughs) Yeah, no. uh, I mean, yeah. I'm of the opinion that that should be left alone. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, completely agree. Although I think Dwayne Johnson was being cast as... um, Uh, I feel like he's in everything now. Such a different personality, almost. Mm. I mean, he could pull it off. He's he's actually not a bad comedic actor. Yeah. I mean, the the secret of doing Big Trouble in Little China properly is you have to realize that Jack Burton is not the hero of that movie. (laughs) Like, he thinks he is. He's firmly convinced that this is a movie about him, but it's actually him just bumbling his way through scene after scene, and the other people solve all the problems. Yeah. So, as long as the director gets that, I think it could work. Yeah. I actually like The Rock. I think he's a really good actor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I no. agree. I think... I'm not entirely sure they've stretched his muscles enough in the Furious <laughs> franchise yet. How but big can they go? I mean, you know? he's a pretty big man, but I actually think he's really funny. He's got great comedic timing. Oh. He was in um, that... Uh, I mean, Get Smart. I loved him in Get Smart. I have not seen it. Oh. He's outstanding Is he? It. Yeah, I oh, believe he's it. really good. That was one of the first uh, things I've seen him in. And yeah. Where was, he kind of... Ste- he stepped out there. Where he stepped out and I was, was like, oh, this guy's good. I'm, I don't want to overhype it for you. But yeah, sure. I, I, I was a massive Get Smart fan growing up. Right. And they did an outstanding... I found them incredibly painful. The, I just couldn't. The series growing up? <laughs> yeah. Growing well, up, used, I just couldn't. It used to be on just before the news, so we'd always watch it every night. Anyway, reruns. Yeah. Um, but, oh, I loved it so much. And they do a good job of not being derivative. No one to say that, but like they pay homage to it, but modernize it. still their own thing. Yeah. Really well done. I think it's an adaptation done well. Yes. You know, it's, it's, a it's the spirit of the series. And yeah. for me, I didn't feel like I was just like eating rock throughout the entire thing. Like that was what the original series was for me. Like it was so <laughs> painful. Like you my insides really were bleeding. Tell us what, yeah, tell us what you really this. think. Come on, just yeah. don't, don't hold it, back. Yeah, Please. sorry. This is a this is raw so instead moment. You, instead of eating rock, you were watching. What? Uh, <laughs> I, know, I, was wait, Ooh, I wasn't going to be the one to go I know, there. I had to go the door there. was wide open. Yeah. Um, Should have taken it. <laughs> but uh, honestly, uh, Jay, you won't, you won't regret. That's a solid recommendation for me. Yeah, I am a fan of Dwayne. Yeah, yeah, and it's got Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway, and they both do. I mean, I, I love Steve Carell personally, um, and Anne Hathaway I, I really like too. So the whole cast, and um, yeah, a couple of moments which were laugh out loud funny. So yeah, give that, it a shot. All right, absolutely. How Done did deal. we get to that? But yes, I don't know. It was ve- it was very good. So yeah. um, Kurt Russell started this entire thing. It's right. Um, so Guardians of the Galaxy two, there, there was um, Sly Sylvester Stallone was oh, in when Fantastic. Sylvester Stallone came on, and this is a I not didn't really even know spoiler. he was in it. Well, here's the thing: not that much, thankfully, because he came on, and I'm sitting listening to him, more, 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 <laughs> and I'm like, my inner monologue, and uh, was just like, please, dear Lord, don't let this be a cameo. Dude, I was in <laughs> rapture. I would love it every <laughs> moment of it. It's what? so good. I can understand everything. It was great. Anyway. Just nah, Sly speaks to my soul, man. That Does guy, he? yeah. Well, good, because he sure can't speak to your ears. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you need to connect on a psychic level to yeah. that guy. because You haven't got a psychic connection, you've got nothing. <laughs> voice is poor communication, really. Boy. Um, anyway, yeah. speaking of wow. what I really think. Wow. Swinging, coming out swinging. Yeah. Everyone's really so, angry. <clears throat> anyway, it was good movie. So, yeah, definitely recommend Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I hear good things about Wonder Woman as well, so I'm really... I heard it's the first good DC movie since Christopher Nolan showed yeah, up. Yeah, so, so I'm really looking forward to seeing it. didn't like Batman vs. Superman? 
it's one of those weird films where I really like. No, no, I hated it. Ben Affleck. I just said that to you too. Yeah, no, no, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I was like interpreting like, well, I wonder Good. what Jay's looking at me for. Is he wanting me to agree with is him? Is he going to get out of his chair? And yeah. Right How is this going to work right now? This could be really good for us. No, no, um, no, good. no. The film was just the worst. Yeah. But yeah. I really liked Batman. Right. Did I you? thought Batfleck mm. was pretty good. I thought every, you I know, can't the whole hate to do it. The whole hate on Batfleck was mm. huge, and I kept thinking in the back of my head, he's actually going to be okay. Yeah, the opening scene mm. when Goth—not Gotham, yeah—Gotham was being destroyed, and really he's powerful. flying around. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, um, I think Ben Affleck's a pretty good actor. I, I think he's a very talented actor. It was, yeah, he was—he was making the most of what he had, which was mm. not a hell of a lot. No, nothing really, yeah. especially yeah. that Martha scene, which made me oh, <gasps> Jesus Christ. The scene that epitomized that whole movie for me was. When Wonder Woman shows up, Batman Batman has just in the preceding scene he has just sent her an email with all the little snippets of video footage for the you know the yeah. oncoming Justice League members. Yeah, he has quite literally just sent this email like five yeah. minutes before rocking up. Mm. And she rocks up and you know hits Doomsday with her sword, mm. and Superman turns to Batman and says, "Is she with you?" And Batman says. I thought she was with you. And it's like, dude, yeah, you, you just, just sent, her, sent her the email. Oh. You're the world's greatest <laughs> detective. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on here? I mean, the, the, the jar of urine aside, yeah, that was... Oh. And Martha, yeah. No yeah, thing. Martha. Yeah. Jesse Eisenberg, like, what was he doing? What was he thinking? What was, was he in the was movie he, for? <laughs> was he sitting there thinking, this is my Heath Ledger... Joker I think Dark Knight so. performance. I, I like, really feel this is that going to define a generation of villains <laughs> from here on in. Oh. <laughs> See, the thing is, because he was he, he was wasn't committed. Like he was part committed. Yeah. <laughs> he believed truly in what he was doing. Someone was encouraging him. Yeah, I really just hope it wasn't the director or the writer because that would make me quite sad. Yeah, I don't no, know. it's yeah. weird. Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor, even though that was really... He was good. He was great. Yeah, he, he was, was good. good. He was the best part of the film. Yeah, that totally. Movie, though. But they anyway, yeah, just he brought him back. Just ignore everything else and leave him. But that's Kevin Spacey. I mean, he's... He's yeah. good in pretty much everything he did. Yeah. yeah. He was a great Lex Luthor. Yeah, because he, he, he was Lex Luthor. He right. was smart. He yeah. was intelligent. Yeah. It's... Everything didn't that have a strange <laughs> high pitched lilt yeah. to his voice. <laughs> didn't have a jar of urine. Yeah. No, no jar of urine in sight. Anyway, it's always a bonus. That movie was really weird, um, but good Batman returns. You mean or Superman returns or Batman versus Superman? Batman Sorry. versus Superman. Yeah, no, very yeah. bad movie. Yeah, very, very bad. I think we're waiting. <laughs> we're waiting to see. Look, uh, it's thankfully. Hey, you know what? One thing though, you've got to say about having a bad Batman movie after Nolan's Batman is like at least all our expectations are now lowered because no one was going to live up to Christopher Nolan's series. Yeah. So in that sense, at least we're kind of back to blank canvas. Maybe. All right. So maybe I'm the only one here, but I thought Ooh. Batman Forever's Val Kilmer was the best Batman. Wow. Ooh. I have never heard anyone yeah. say that before. <gasps> I'm ever. just going to crawl into a right <laughs> now. Just all I... Val Kilmer. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I think he was... Why? The, tell us why. He was the closest to the... Uh. The original comic uh, universe, yeah. the classic Bruce Wayne Batman that we got. So, do you think he was a good Batman or a good Bruce Wayne? Or uh, he, he, I think he was he both. Was, I think he was both. Pulled yeah. it off. Wow. Okay. I feel um, like Christopher Bale was. So, oh, sorry, Christian Bale. Mm. Christian Bale's Batman was mm. fantastic. Yeah. I yeah. really liked the Nolan oh, movies. Bruce Wayne. Right? Mm. The And Christian Bale's a great actor. Yeah. But there was mm. just. Something about him, especially after the number one, mm. number two, obviously it's hard to compete with Heath Ledger's Joker yeah. and yep. yeah. Two Face and all that stuff was fantastic and just a really good movie. Number three was I thought number three was a bad film. Yeah, that was agreed. just me. A lot oh. of people. No, liked no, it. I, I'm with you on that one. Rises oh. couldn't understand what was happening. Oh, including it, couldn't understand what Bane was saying. Oh, see, yeah, I, I, I mean, Bane. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, that was Bane's difficult. Was a problem, I, I enjoyed number three. Like, I felt like yeah. there was no, no way number three could be as good as number two. Um, but I enjoyed like they 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 really pay homage to the the lore of Batman. You know, with the Talia, the, the backbreaking and Talia and all that kind of stuff. I I thought it was as good as it could be coming off the back of what is uh, once in a... Oh, okay, I'm really hyping it up now. You know, once in a generation or whatever. You know, what is just a really great movie. Yeah, Dark Knight was great. Mm. I mean. Yeah, there was there was a lot going on in Rises. They had a yeah. lot to do. Yeah. And I think yeah, it maybe suffered as a result. I think it's I mean it's still a, I still like it as a film but it's probably the weakest of the three. 
Yes, that, that's true. So, that's somebody true. made the analogy, and this is a weird one, but I I use alien analogies a lot, so let's switch it around and do mm. something else. Mario, right? <laughs> um, I would do Alien. I watched Alien 3 on the weekend, actually. Oh, oh the Alien... Oh, Alien 3, not three. Alien Covenant. You no, 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 watch. 3. Finch's oh, yeah. first feature. Yeah, no, we, so we have a running motif on the podcast where any, every time I bring up a weird analogy about something, it's and alien. it has to do with the Xenomorph. <laughs> yeah. Somehow. Right. That'll work. Right? It's true. It's great. But I'm using Mario this time, okay? Mm. Bear with me. Mario Kart. Yeah. Yep. Mario World. Yeah. Yep. Where can you go? Mario Universe, Universe. right? Right. Yeah, so, yeah. this is the problem mm. with, with for me, the Batman movies. You started uh, out with small criminals. Constant expansion. Right. right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And he, it, and the, 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 mm. the ridiculousness of it is that Jim Gordon says this at the end of Batman Begins, where he's, you know, in the after credits mm. scene, I think. Um, when he gives him the joke, he's like, you know, we wear Kevlar, they get... You know, yeah, yeah right. The escalation. It's just it's you know predicting Self- yeah, why absolutely. I wouldn't like Dark Knight Rises. Mm. Um, so by that rationale, where does Batman versus Superman go? Because it was they, already ridiculous. Like they started with Doomsday, <laughs> the guy who kills Superman. Spoilers. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. But yeah, like, <laughs> where do you go from there? I don't know. How I do mean, the up? thing is, Justice League has always been into the whole like infinite universe thing and mm. right. you know, parallel universe. So I, yeah, they got places to go. I think. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, okay. alternate timelines, and a little bit of dark side, maybe. Yeah, a little flashback mm. to the whole. It's, I don't know. It, I think the, the thing you come back to with superhero movies is that it, it's <coughs> a good plot is still a good plot no matter what kind of movie it is, mm-hmm. and you need to make this. And that's, there's that great analysis video of the Dark Knight where he talks about the battle is not for saving the world, like Superman. Uh, where you know Lex Luthor and they got the coast of America going off the ground, but the battle is actually for the soul of Gotham, so, right. and the stakes are just two boats of people in the middle of the of yep. the uh, bay. Very believable, great stakes because those people could die, and you you know that's believable. Whereas you know the world getting destroyed, well that's unbelievable. You know we know the world will get saved in some yeah, way. Yeah, or so. the fact that Bane takes over an entire mm. city in the U.S. and like. For six months straight, and yeah, no one just rolls in the nest. Like as soon as yeah. that happened, that bit happened in the movie. I was just like, all right, I'm not enjoying my time with this now. You know, this is moved beyond. Just send the military in, right? <laughs> just, At just this point, it. Batman yeah. it just can't win, and he wins. But you know, that's mm. plot armor. Um. Anyway, Jay, Ooh. what have you been watching? I we have just yeah, yeah. we have just finished uh, Daredevil season two. Ah, which yeah. I made it about halfway through and then stopped, but. Let's, my, let's talk about Daredevil season two. Yeah, okay. Um, I loved the Punisher stuff. Uh, the first kind of four episodes yeah. when it was just pure Punisher was great. Because Punisher mm. done right. Yeah. Right. It was, it was, yeah, I mean, I'm a Marvel Comics fanboy from way back and Punisher was one of the yep. first titles that I'd ever read right. um, back when Jim Lee was drawing it before mm-hmm. he did X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I thought the Punisher storyline was fantastic. And then Elektra and ninjas and vampires and yeah, all this that happened strange stuff started coming in and the punisher thread ran underneath and i still really enjoyed it but mm. i felt like it it kind of lost its way it, it felt like they were setting up um defenders mm. like i think yeah. the hand yeah. is going to be the overarching the villain through yeah. defenders um so it felt a little bit forced and i've i've never really found electra as a character all that interesting no, she's kind of famous annoying. for getting killed yeah. That's what she did. She, she was dies. the first girlfriend yeah. in the fridge. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I thought the second season paled in comparison to the first. I loved Agreed. the first one. Yeah. The Some of the fight choreography was incredible. There's a scene, I think, in the mm. second or third episode where it's fight so, yeah. down a stairwell mm. uh, and it's edited to look like one shot. It's obviously not. But, yeah, mm. that's some of the best fight choreography I've seen on television yeah. ever, I think. Yeah, then contrast and compare with Iron Fist. But we'll talk. I haven't <laughs> seen Iron Fist. My wife is watching Iron that's Fist I and I kind of wander into the room occasionally oh. and then just wander straight yeah, back yeah, out. Yeah, just leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Uh, Jessica Jones was great. Though. I really loved that. Yeah, and it was. So um, Luke Cage is next on the list. Mm. But strangely enough, I've also been watching The West Wing again mm. because right. I got given a whole bunch of title sheets for God's Grave, which yeah. is mm-hmm. coming out in September and I had to sign them. Yeah. Uh, and so I just would have West Wing playing in the background because you don't have to watch West Wing. You just listen to it. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> I I reached the end of the title sheets before I reached the end of the season. So now I'm, I'm watching season seven. Okay, um, nice. And that was really... I had seen it once before, probably about 10 years ago, but mm-hmm. um, coming back to it now... Mm. With a with a kind of writer's mindset, I yeah. found it really interesting. It's a really well constructed show. Yes, yeah, so it is. the the 
the seasons where Sorkin leaves mm. i think he left at the end of season yeah. four um mm. the fall off in season five is pretty dramatic mm. but some of some of the earlier episodes i think it's the start of season four 20 hours in america it's like a two-parter mm. it's just amazing it's just a masterclass mm. in how to write um mm. and i you know i know some people out there don't like sorkin but i'm a huge fanboy. Yeah. Mm. i agree love the newsroom i love studio 60 on the sunset strip i think he's mm. an incredibly talented writer so yeah. kind of sitting back and in a strange way just listening to it and not watching it mm. was a really interesting exercise because all you're left with is dialogue yeah and, yeah. The, and the beats the white space in between yeah I but it's so sharp it. as well like the dialogue is so punctuated with yeah the, apparently yeah. there's a podcast out there at the moment uh run Josh Molina, I think mm. the guy who played uh, Will, I think in the later seasons, mm. is running a episode by episode dissection wow. of the season of oh. the series. Yeah, and um, he gets actors in who played parts on mm. the show, and they kind of dissect each episode and mm. the choices for acting, That's dialogue, crazy. and yeah, it, it's really really interesting. interesting there. Yeah, I've been recommended by a couple of friends. So yeah, mm. interesting. Well, talking about politics, I have been watching the latest season of house of cards ah how um, is it mm, enjoying it mm, Ooh, um i saw that there was there was a grimace there there was there mm. was so um the original um bbc yeah uh, run yeah. um much shorter than than this one yeah what yep, yep. two three seasons yeah i think like so that? very short yeah. um long episodes but like small amount of episodes um it's a mini series really um it's not um but <laughs> The the way that House of Cards is structured, I really enjoyed season one. Loved it. I loved season two. Yeah. I started waning around season three. Sure. And I mm. didn't know where the show was going to be in season five when I watched season four. Right. Right? Yeah. I really I really think and I still think they should have done and you know, obviously this makes a lot more for them, mm. but it would have made more sense to the story and and just like in keeping you in if they'd done season one, season two, and make season three about his inevitable, mm. you know, demise as a character, because this is where it's going really in, yeah. in, in season five. Right. Um, <clears throat> but so season five, I'm just going to put a big spoiler out here because we want to talk about it and um, eat it up a little bit. Season five, um, we can see this coming right from season two, I think, where Claire is obviously going to become more of an important character. Mm. Um, and we all assume that she will inevitably become um, the president mm. um, and that Frank will just crash and burn right. inevitably. Now, Kevin Spacey, fantastic actor. Um, I love him simply because he can convince you of the necessity of what his character is doing, even though really, you know, deep down, he's insane. Like, <laughs> right. it's just, it makes no sense. Like, this is, he's murdering people. Yeah. Like, actually murdering yeah. people. Um, but somehow, you want him to succeed, but fail at the same time. Right. Right? Yeah. You want him to succeed in his scenes, mm. but some external force to come and just, you know, now you're done. Yeah. Right? Our sense of justice kicking in. With season five, there's just a lot of stuff going on mm. around all of this. You know, all the the loose ends that have been accumulated throughout the series. Mm. You know, we've got the Tom Yates character, which is, you know, Claire's relationship on the side. We've got, um, you know, unresolved issues with Francis's mm -hmm. relationships. We've got undercurrents of other characters. Really, season five is a bit messy for me. Um, it's right. still good TV. It's still good. Mm. You know, it's, it's still House of Cards. But yeah, I, I just, I really just want it to end right now. Mm. I want season six to finish because inevitably this is not going to, you know, it has to go to season six. Really? They're going to go. Yeah. See, I, I, I lost yeah. interest once Underwood got the presidency. It was kind of. Yeah. That that's the end of the story, yeah. and I I wouldn't have mind finishing on a nihilistic note. Like yeah, that's this fine too. Awful, horrible. Yep. Wreck of is. a human being. Yeah, there's now a, there's a, maybe there's a scene in the of him Oval sitting Office. in the chair and just a smile, and then it ends. That's it. Yeah. I Musical would be fine thing, with done. it. Credits roll. And then yeah. I'd be like, man, that was a great show. Yeah. <laughs> but right now it's like he becomes becomes president, and then you know trouble of the week starts. Or, yeah. you know, oh right. And you know that it it feels like that. You know, um, yeah. and even though Petra of the Russian, you know sort of foil um, mm. character, he's there. 
and he sort of like shows up again in season five, and he's like, "Yes, but now I'm doing this other thing," and and you're hmm. you're so like, is, okay. is it kind of like the West Wing? Like, there's a lot of walking yeah. meetings, and <laughs> yeah, just go straight into a derivative West Wing. Yeah, kind of mode. The, the, <laughs> the problem is that it's still Francis Underwood against the world, right? Right, yeah. and it's him against the system, but it's just been going on for so long. Yeah, it's yeah. like. You just ate too much chocolate, but you're being forced <laughs> yeah. more chocolate. You just don't want any more, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm amazed they've dragged six seasons out of it. Because he, he got the presidency at the end of number three, didn't he? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, okay. That was where we stopped. It was kind yeah. of, yep, all right, I'm happy with number story. Number four, season four was literally all side characters. It was mm. a ton of side character, like, yeah. bloating, you know? Lots of it with Doug, Doug's character, yeah. Doug Stamper, the chief of stuff. Mm. Um, lots of his, you know, weird you know, forays into who he is as a human. And I was like, I, I, <laughs> I didn't I sign want, up for this. I yes. just want Francis Underwood. Kevin. <laughs> um, Bring back Robin Wright. Yeah, mm. and Robin Wright. And yeah, so... Okay, not so much. Bittersweet. All yeah. right, interesting. Yeah, I think we made the right call bowing out at the end of season three. Yeah, I think so. In my mind, Frank is president forever. And yeah. There it could be it's, worse. It's, <laughs> I think what you're it expressing, could be worse. what you're expressing now, Joel, is what I hope I don't feel like when I'm watching season two of uh, Stranger Things come October. So. Yeah, really interesting choice to make a second season. I don't think any of us felt like it was necessary. Not was, at all. Once you've shown the monster, where do you go? Like a bigger monster? Yeah. And we're back to the, the Mario analogy. The Mario analogy. It feels a little bit like that's what's going to happen. I, I'm just not convinced that it could possibly be... I'm going in with low expectations. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think an interesting way to handle it, because obviously everyone loved the show and the actors were great. I think if they had have adopted like an American horror story model, so yes. they take those yeah. actors and cast them in different roles in a different story, in a different setting, yeah. you could yeah. pull it off. Yep. But yeah. it felt like a one-season story arc mm. to me. It's kind yeah. of like, like 13 Reasons Why. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How the hell Wait, are you going to squeeze another season? Are they going to make another one? Yeah, there's a yep. season two. Of course they are, Joel. <laughs> because I guess it was very popular and everyone made a lot of money, but mm. the story's kind of finished. I thought there was, yeah. 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 <laughs> there's a very definite full stop at the end of yeah. that story, so... 14 sure. reasons why. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure yeah. how you would make a second season of it. And Stranger Things is kind of the same. I, I found myself liking that against my own will because I, mm. I could feel my buttons being pressed. It's like they took everything that I loved in the 80s. Yeah. Like it was a deliberate homage yeah. to my childhood. So deliberate. <laughs> and I could see it. But I couldn't help myself loving it either. It was awful. It's kind of like they were like, (laughs) we know what we're doing and you know that we know what we're doing. So let's just do it. But it's going to be great. Yeah, Yeah, it's going to be great. Let's just get on with it. In some way, it's like, you know, I think that's what Guardians did really well as well. It like pressed your right buttons. Like there were were things there that I just inevitably ended up smiling at during, you know, the watching of it. It's like, you know, Fleetwood Mac song starts playing and you're like, (laughs) I can't help but smile. You know, Kurt Russell shows up, you know, all these weird touchstones. So, see, I haven't seen... um, um, Stranger Things. So. That's right. You haven't have you? He's he's holding out. It's pretty great. It's yeah, pretty amazing. See, job. Like Coming you, I deeply cynical. I've person. heard all this, you uh, yeah. know. So I'm just eh, maybe. No, it's good. It's, it's totally good. worth your time. All right. Yeah. You won't regret. I'm just not sure how they're going to squeeze a sequel out of it. Mm. Curious. Yeah. But well, I mean, what, it, what what uh, what did I tell you about Walking Dead? Didn't they have like seven season planned in yeah. the future or whatever? So I mean, that's never going to end. But um, yeah. I mean, Walking Dead will just keep going and they're just going to keep walking, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> They'll oh always goodness. make money. I mean, people love it. Um, all right. Well, we're done with the media section. Um, that was a good time. Let's move on to the topic. Mm. Nitty gritty. This is who we are. We're writers, so we talk about in-depth stuff. Right, guys? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> all right. Sure. All right. Well, so the, the plan was to get two authors on this year. Um, and to talk about particular genres, not so much in depth, but to see their reaction to it um, now, see where it's going, um, and yeah, just have a look and see what they think. Um, we'll probably be doing this a couple times this year, and it'll, it'll keep going. There's plenty of genres to talk about. Let's start with fantasy. Um, so, Jake, you've written a bunch of books. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're pretty good. Thanks. Um, and I hear a lot of people like them. So, you're obviously doing something right. So, we thought, well, bring you on, talk about fantasy. All right. We can do that. Sounds good. All right. So, 
with fantasy, it's an interesting genre, and we mentioned one of the touchstones of the genre, Tolkien, and another one, modern touchstone, I suppose, George R. R. Martin. Yep. Uh, and in that regard, we can already see a trajectory of like uh, some kind of evolution, some kind of change. Um, now, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, and people know I love Inside Baseball quite a lot, especially when it comes to things that I love. Um, Michael Moorcock wrote a um, short uh, a collection of essays, basically. It's called Wizardry and Wild Romance. Um, and it basically talks about pretty much every major um, influential fantasy book or series up till about 1985, right? Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, Michael Moorcock has now not released a revised edition talking about everything past 1985, but I assume he thinks it's all bad. So we'll just assume that. <laughs> we'll just assume that. Um, it's a really good book. If you haven't read it, I would urge you to read it. Just um, as a piece of intellectual di diagnostic um, tool, it's not dense. So mm. Moorcock's writing style is very fluid and it's very narrative and it's very easy to get into. So read that. It's very short. Um, if you just want like a nice snapshot um, view of, of fantasy, of where, where it came from. China Merville, um, an author that I really like, um, yeah. I like quite a lot. Petito Street Station is probably up there on one of my favorite Amazing book. You know fantasy. they're doing a BBC series of The City in the City, right? Oh, really? Yeah. That's I happening? don't know how they're going to do it, but apparently they are. That's really weird. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's very strange. Yeah, Ch like China Merville is one of those... Um, Authors that takes the fantasy genre and messes around with it yeah. uh, in a revisionist sort of way. He wrote a um, forward to Moorcock's book, <clears throat> and he said that it was like walking with a librarian who knew every book, mm. and he was pointing them out to you and just being like, and that one's pretty good, and that one. But you, as the reader, you only, you know, you can pick up little puzzle pieces, you know, certain yeah. books, but not all of them. Right. Um, so it's a great piece of work, and you should read it. Now, the reason I bring that up is that he names a bunch of writers that were very near and dear to my heart. People mm. like Fritz Leiber, um, uh, Robert E. Howard, um, Tolkien, and Moorcock takes a very dim view on Tolkien. Moorcock is a, um, <laughs> he's a cranky old man, and, and he <laughs> decidedly does not like Lord of the Rings. Um, he in one of his more recognizable statements, called it the epic poo, as in the Winnie Pooh of the fantasy genre. Right, okay. Um, the English uh, aristocracy pining for a, you know, for a their past. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my question to both of you, and to have a discussion here is, now where do you think it's come? We've seen, um, we've seen Tolkien, we've seen all that. We've seen more of the... Um, subversive kind of fantasy come out of that with mm. Liber and, and you know, having grayer sort of heroes. And we are moving into more of, I suppose, a grim, dark sort of view of fantasy, mm. which is quite popular. On the podcast with C.S. Picat, we're talking about difficult topics yeah. and the fact that dif difficult topics are being brought up in speculative fiction a lot more these days uh, than they ever would have been. Um where, where do you think you see fantasy going in, and are you comfortable with the trajectory, I guess, is, is the first question. So, Ian, let's, let's start with you. Mm. Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting one. And I think back, uh, I feel like as a reader, mm. I checked out, before I stepped into writing um, years back, I, I think I checked out for a little while, and uh, in that time uh, was when we've had a, we had a shift, I think, a lot, a lot more. It kind of reflected, I'll give my thoughts through the 90s mm. and the noughties. Sure. Uh, I think there's been a turning point around the GFC and there's been a lot more uh, kind of... The world has become a slightly scarier place in recent times. Mm. Um, in the 90s, it was a bit bit safer, perhaps. We had end of, end of communism. We had kind of some enthusiasm. And then in the world in general, I know we're not talking about a big political topic here, but, mm. you know, fiction... But indeed, it does. No, it does I, I, yeah. I think you're right. Fiction yeah. totally reflects the mood yeah. of the time. It does. And so you look at how much gritty dystopia suddenly appears mm. yeah, absolutely. Uh, around the time of the GFC... And we've got this explosion of stuff, you know, like uh, dystopian fantasy. Um, I think done well, fantastic, you know. There, there is a lot of dystopian fantasy now. Um, and I think uh, it, that's, that's one part, I think. I don't see that fading away entirely, but I think that can become more nuanced. Um, mm. Did you know that um, 1984 
got onto the New York Times bestseller list again this January. I did hear about that. Amazing. Yeah. Three, uh, I think it's like 80 years. It was yeah. published in 1949. My goodness. 80 years after its publication almost, yeah. Three months yeah. after the American election, back on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is, we've got to take that as encouraging, right? That people. Are, I would hope so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> maybe it's people are reading it as a how-to it, yeah, guide. Yeah, educational. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So what do, what do I expect in the next few, four years? Please use, a <laughs> yeah. Yeah. use a manual. Yeah. Use a manual. Yeah, use a manual. That's a cynical new cover. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. I think the other thing that we've seen happening at the same time, um, so there's probably two threads that I'll put out there and then um, I'll leave it with Jay to pick it up. Um, I, I think there's also the mainstream uh, nerd, nerd culture, if you will, mm. uh, becoming mainstream. Uh, and I think that's kind of happened hand in hand. And uh, before we started the podcast today, I was mentioning um, a, a game, Borderlands 2, which has an expansion to it. So Borderlands 2, hugely... Uh, successful franchise uh, Borderlands and very funny and they have this expansion where they have one of the characters playing a D&D tabletop game and has the friends yeah. over and it is a, a nerd's paradise the references throughout it are hilarious um, and even to the point where they have this secret section where you can actually find um, a takeoff of uh, the the Iron Throne and um, <laughs> and like the you know the various characters and yeah. Joffrey it is just hilarious mm. but for the for that to actually happen and Borderlands 2 is a mainstream game to have a whole expansion put on which people pay money for which is just layered with nerdy stuff now admittedly lots of you know computer game playing people playing it but it just it speaks to me of the fact that and Big Bang Theory coming mainstream maybe it speaks to me of the fact that <coughs> fantasy has come into the mainstream in a huge way yeah uh, no better exemplified than uh, you know Game of Thrones mm-hmm. I suppose yeah I mean it's kind of what we were talking about with Stranger Things a little while ago. I mean, the first episode, the kids yes. are now playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. Um, I I can't <laughs> remember seeing D and D on TV since Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Which a hell of a long time ago, Not and I think it was on. I think there's they're playing it in ET as well. Mm-hmm. So it's probably the third time I've ever seen D and D on on the screen. So yeah. yeah, the fact that it's entered public consciousness is it's a pretty amazing time to be alive and a nerd like I mm. couldn't rem- I couldn't imagine you know I was 13, 14 years old being able to walk into a movie theater and see an X-Men film like yeah. sitting there reading comics <laughs> yeah. like that would just have been impossible yeah. for me to imagine so yeah it's amazing mm. um, yeah in terms of fantasy I kind of see it going in two directions mm. um, I think the road has definitely split with the rise of I, I know a lot of authors who write this kind of fantasy don't like the that handle grimdark. Um, mm. I think it's become yeah. a little bit of a, yep. a cliche, yep. but mm-hmm. people, I guess, writing darker and grittier stuff with more anti-heroes than mm. traditional heroes. Uh, I think that's pretty alive and well. You know, you've got writers like Joe Abercrombie and Mark mm. Lawrence. Interesting, a lot of the guys I read writing that kind of stuff come out of the UK. I'm not mm-hmm. sure whether that says something about life in the UK or yeah. not. But mm. And on the other hand, I think you see writers like I guess I'd, I'd probably hold up Pat Rothfuss as mm-hmm. an example of a, I wouldn't say a return, but I guess a continuation of that more traditional epic fantasy yeah. yep. uh, in which, you know, that you're telling the story of a broken man, but ultimately it's, it, it feels a lot lighter in tone mm. and, and mm. Um, less less bleak, less, yeah. less nihilistic, I guess. Mm. And I, I don't know, I, I see the road as having kind of split down those two paths and I I, I don't really see them changing anytime mm. soon. I mm. think, I mean, the, there are examples of writers doing great work in both so I don't really see a reason not to. I, I personally find the darker and grittier stuff more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a book like Scott Lynch's Lies of Lock the Mora, you know, I, I've always found stories about anti-heroes, I guess, more interesting than, mm. than heroes uh, and I tend to write a lot of anti-heroes myself but, I mean... The traditional grand operatic epic fantasy is still totally alive and well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's that's been helped in terms of the mainstream. Absolutely, the fact that uh, Game of Thrones got on TV. Uh, not that Game of Thrones is the only thing out there, but it's the most well known. And the fact that you've got water cooler conversations that happen about this uh, about this world, which is just. It's dragons, for heaven's sake. Right. It's, it's yeah. sword and sorcery. It's so like, nerdy. So nerdy. <laughs> so, so nerdy. Yeah. Like, I, I struggle to think of something more nerdy than uh, the mother of dragons, you know? Right. So it's just... Uh, <laughs> but here it is. People are 
interested. Yeah. And anything, I think, which gets people reading is fantastic because of the slow pace of the books coming out compared to the series. I mean, I was one person who I said, okay, I'm going to sit down and read these books because I know the series isn't there yet. And so that certainly got me doing it. Um, but I, th- I think it's exciting to see something as high fantasy as that uh, coming into the mainstream. And that also has elements of anti-heroes. And I mean, there's so many characters in there who are they're, they're complex. I wouldn't say... I'm just trying to think of there's actually a solid person I call an anti-hero on second thought, but very complex characters. has kind of become an yeah. anti-hero, yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Thrones kind of skirts the line between Grimdark and that kind of more traditional yeah. epic. There are there are some yeah. pretty bleak characters and bleak storylines being played yep. out there for us. Yep. But like, like you say, I think one of the most wonderful things to come out of the rise of Thrones mm. is... You know, friends of mine who've never picked up a book or haven't picked up books in high school, yeah. they bought all those books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that served as a gateway drug to other like amazing fantasy because it's only five books and you yeah. know, we're, wait, we're <laughs> you waiting patiently for number six, but you want to read something in the meantime if you've had your appetite wet for it. Mm. You know, there's as a plethora of other amazing books out there that can funnel people back into mm. fantasy. It, it's kind of, it's all, almost become what Joe Rowling did for for mm. reading kids um, and Harry Potter like yep. Thrones has kind of dragged back I, maybe an older generation into the love of yeah. reading so yeah mm. thumbs up George it, it, interestingly with Game of Thrones as well it was this mesh because like you said it skirts the line of this darker kind of fantasy yeah. where even though there are definite villains to the story and villains being you mm. know we have the White Walkers who are just this you know anonymous pretty much threat yep. mm. and we know they are the great evil but there are a lot of mini evils in the story, and I, I think George Armand himself, like the way that the series is modulated, is that it mm. starts in a low fantasy, and as the series keeps going, the higher fantasy it kind of gets. Sure, we only yep. see the dragons in like book two or book three or something like that. Yep, yeah, um, and you only notice that the White Walkers are a bigger deal as it gets along. Mm. But before this, we're we're focused on um, internal political conflict. Yeah, so in that way. I guess you're right. It is the gateway drug for mm. people reading it saying, oh, this is fantasy, but it's not that nerdy when you start, right? No, it's completely not. I mean, <laughs> no. it, it's a political drama yeah, to begin with. Like if you're into yeah. the Borgias or whatever, you can yes. watch Game of Thrones and not have any real problems. And then three seasons in, you <laughs> catch yourself like, oh my God, I've become a nerd. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did this happen? I yeah, want you to go with dragons. Uh, in. Yeah. I'm trying to think what the tipping point was like where it actually, and I think for me where they actually, oh, there is actual magic happening here because it's always hinted at. And it's done very well when, you know, Smokey, the magic uh, kill. Oh my goodness. It's, I'm going to not remember the names at all because... <laughs> Because there's so many. When but Renly gets yeah. shivved. Yeah, sure. yeah, that's right. Renly getting shivved by the smoke. That was kind of the first magic you really saw. That was the first like, magic magic. And you're like, oh, okay. And that's like, that's really well done. That's kind of like a sleight of hand. Ha ha. Yeah. Guess yeah. what? You're a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. No. We, we have cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have cake. <laughs> and we have a lot more books. You're going to love yeah. it. Yeah, there's so many more books. <laughs> um, and it's interesting that it comes to that. I mean, as well, uh, George has been writing through a massive change. I mean, we've kind of... We've we've also seen one massive wave in the, from the '90s to the noughties was the wave of vampires and mm, sure. that real realism kind of fantasy in the real world, which is uh, I, I can't say I'm keen to read another, too many more books on uh, with shiny vampires in the same style, mm. but it's it's interesting that that kind of as well came into the mainstream. So maybe that's maybe I'm just putting it out there that that's also some of the way in which uh, fantasy continues to evolve, things becoming more mainstream that were. Mm quite selective before yeah and also people putting their own spin on them i mean yes say what you will about twilight i've not actually read the books but mm. i mean that that again brought an entire generation of readers yeah. into yes. reading um yep. but i mean i grew up with vampires being the villains you know i grew up reading yeah mm. absolutely interview of the vampire and yep. salem's lot and yeah. all that great stuff live girls so yeah. watching someone else bring their own spin to it and their own values to it you know that that's what writing is all about it's mm. about putting yourself on the page and bringing your own interpretations to it and you know say what you will about it, it was incredibly successful it obviously touched something pretty deep inside a multitude yeah. of readers yeah um with this darker spin, and I'm interested in, in digging in a bit to mm. this. Um, it's 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 curious because I we would there's almost a, a tail into what we were discussing in the previous podcast where we um, 
brought on uh, Dr. Living's and mm. had an in-depth discussion on how myth translates into film in the recent adaptation of King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Oh, sure. Which, mm. spoilers, was quite bad. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because... Uh, there, there, there was an article um, which I, I linked to him later. I was like, "Oh, you know, per our discussion, you should have a look at this article." And mm. the article is very curious because it said that every generation really gets mm. the Arthur it deserves. Oh. Every generation, wow. okay, has a it's a pretty scathing insult. <laughs> <to be honest laughs> yeah, Guy Ritchie directed that film. Yeah, right? what D- happened? Really? I don't know Guy why Ritchie. he directed that. Guy film. Ritchie directed that movie. I did not know that. Yeah. Wait, really? Oh, yeah, no, Jeez. he did. Yeah. Mm, I'm still stuck on. Sorry, I'm I'm still stuck on uh, the '90s one anyway. <laughs> Richard Gere and uh, all right. Anyway, so sorry. all you know, all ha- all cards <laughs> on the table. I actually really liked First Night. First Night. I have not seen First Night, but I grew up with Excalibur. Like yes, all right. Excalibur is probably the truest Arthur movie to Lamont de Arthur, right? Yeah, like sure. Mallory's version of Arthur. Mm. Just go watch Excalibur. And Sir perfect. Patrick Stewart looks exactly the same. <laughs> Yeah. Like everybody else. It's does. like he turned twenty eight and he physically became forty, and then just stayed forty. Yeah, like an elf. He just doesn't change. <laughs> That's it. It's true. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really true. Um, everyone else either got older or died, right? And, and he and was he just, just there, stayed in stasis. Yep. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, so mm. it was curious because each generation, like you can see mm. these ties of um, talking about religion and commentary mm. on y- the stuff happening within our world, yep. mirrored on. On right. film. Hmm. And Arthur gives this really nice foil to it. The 2003 one was with uh, Clive Owen and um, it was the more... Um, oh, this is what Arthur would be if it was real. Right. Right. The, yeah, the, gritty. The Romanized, right. gritty, you know... Oh, I did see that one. Yeah. yeah mm. Kira Knightley, all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. And while it was, an, it was not a bad movie, um, it, wasn't a, it wasn't an Arthur film per se, but it was a good film. Um, that... That tells you a lot of where we were, even in that, in our our uh, vision of that genre, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, guy is just telling us that all hope is yeah, know, it's gone. We don't know <laughs> what we up, are anymore. It in. <laughs> it's like, are we a Cockney chav or are we actually high fantasy? We have elephants in England. So, it in that way, I'm curious because looking mm. at fantasy today, you know, we have this plethora of material all with these different voices do you think that in the next 10 years do you think that that darker trend will remain do you think there will be that vibe because there is a tendency to to sort of darkify um our fantasy these days Hmm. i yeah i think it will i i think you'll see a broadening of that gap i mean some people want escapism in Mm. their fiction um whether they be readers or watchers or whatever they don't want to deal with the real world and so they use their entertainment in order to escape so yep. I, I think you'll see a continuation of fantasy of that caliber but, but yeah I mean I'm one of these people who like to try and explore the issues of the day mm. through their writing um, and I think there are a lot of writers out there like that I think a lot of writers see the responsibility of the artist to reflect the mm. mood of their time um, and I don't think anyone can deny that we live in pretty troubling times mm. Um, mm you know, for all manner of reasons. And I think it's really healthy for us to be exploring those problems through fiction. You know, when, you're, when you're dealing with a problem face up, you know, when it's three inches away from your face mm. uh, and you're emotionally invested in it, you might not see the solution to the problem. Whereas if you're looking at it through the lens of fantasy or futurism, mm. you, that, that can give you some much needed perspective in which to study the issue. You know, it, I, I talk about the, all this this all the time but Mm. one of the things i loved about old school gene roddenberry og Mm. star trek is he really he did that he studied the issues of the day Mm. but it was through a lens of science fiction you know a story about blue people being cruel to green people is still a story about racism at the heart of it Mm. but perhaps it gives you that perspective necessary through which you can you can solve the problem Mm. maybe i don't know it's a theory anyway Mm. yeah it's curious um with uh, lo- looking at fantasy as this kind of expression of um, looking at today, I think it, that that is in, you know that's incredibly true. But I think also it's an expression of what isn't possible. You know, like mm. the, on just a strictly you know, um, if you look at the the practicalities of the world that we live in, right? Yeah. Today we know a ton more about our world 
sure. than we mm. ever did. Yep. And there are limits. And the limits are a lot easier to reach now than mm. they were. You know, when when explorers were going out and, you know, into the African wilderness, they, you know, they didn't know what they were going to find, really. Mm. They didn't know what they were going to stumble across. Yep. And so that the mythical, the, the mystic was still out there. Mm. It right. was still real. Um, but our world is very small now. Uh, in that regard. So in my mind, it almost makes the fantasy that we write today bigger. Hmm. That the the fantasy of, um, you know, of Tolkien uh, and, and, you know, later Moorcock and all that, um, their fantasies are large, but it's, it's, it's curious when you look at the scale of fantasy being written today, hmm. there's so much bigger, there's so much... Um, wider. There's so much more to these worlds, and it almost seems like the smaller our world gets, the bigger the fantasy gets, right? Mm. Sure. I, 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 that's a really interesting point. I think in terms of setting, what you're saying is true, but in terms of character, mm-hmm. I think the characters that you see in more contemporary fantasy tend to be a lot deeper yeah, and, and introverted. There's a lot more and self-examination yeah. going on yeah. than a character, you know, to, to put the boot into Professor Tolkien, um, you know, a, a character like Aragorn, you never really see inside his head. You never really know what his motivations are other he than sings a poem, I though. be the king. Yeah, <laughs> has, has a lovely singing voice. Uh, but, you know, there, there's not a lot of, there's not a whole lot of depth to any of the characters in no. that story, really. Um, it's whereas, plot-driven, yeah. Right. Mm. And nowadays, even with big kind of epic, mm. you know, that operatic style, there mm. does tend to be a lot more self-examination on the part of the main characters. You know who they are beyond the setting that they're in. Mm. And that's actually part of the the beauty of it as well, is that that draws you closer to the story. And again, just quickly touching on uh, George R. R. Martin, you know, I still remember the moment he drops into Cersei's head, for example, you're like, oh, fantastic. Right. Because I I still remember that was one of the moments in the book where I was like, this is great, because I've I've had this character who's just been horrible, and now I'm going to find out what's going on. And I love that. It just brings the story to life for me, because I want to hear their story, because, you know... it there's not that archetypal villain going on. It's a complex character. So why is this happening? And, and I love that. Sure. So I think you're right. And I think back to some of the stuff that I read, uh, you know, I started out, Magician was probably the first uh, epic fantasy outside of Tolkien, C.S. Lewis were two things I read. But then, you know, Magician um, by uh, Raymond D. Feist is mm. just like these, just some guy, the, the women in the story, are the damsels to be uh, rescued and the men are just out there going and doing their thing, you know, and, uh, it's all very surface level again. And so coming back to that, reading that again a few years ago, I was like, wow, I'm glad we've come a long way since then because it feels like we needed to. It's really interesting you say that. I, I got to meet Raymond um, a couple mm. of years ago, oh, yeah. again at a supernova, and mm. I loved The Magician when I was a kid. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But oh. I haven't, I haven't reread it since, and I'm wondering if I should just leave it alone. I think you'd yeah. be wise. I also read like an, it was an edited copy, like where he added in. Oh yeah, the well. special edition. The sure. special edition. Yeah. And <laughs> director's me, cut. I had amazing memories. George Lucas edition. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, George, no, stop, no, George, stop, George. Um, but like, yeah, coming back to it, I think it was, and he would admit as well, because I remember in his foreword, he said, I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I didn't know, because he leaps, you know, 20 years, just like he just leaps sure. abruptly. You know, I remember that in one yeah. of Feist's early books where he would just like 20 years happen. And I was like, whoa, really? Yeah. Right. But like, I didn't, I didn't realize at the time what was happening and how that jarred me. Like when I read it first, so yeah. I absolutely loved it as well. And, and it was um, the first thing where magic really punched me in the face kind of so yeah. I, I loved it yeah um but yeah coming back to it i could see how things have progressed and you know every writer progresses mm. but it was it was interesting to spot that and uh so yeah it's 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 an interesting one um it's it's weird and i i want to preface the comments that i might get and when you know people send in they say you know why why do you focus on george r martin so much and it's like well it's it's kind of hard not to in the fantasy genre um, it's kind of like Tolkien was that defining moment of how fantasy was then just planned out for the next, you know, mm. 50 years is something of what we're getting now with, with Tolkien. So it's not a surprise that we, we do end up talking about him. So that's just that postscript. Mm. Do you assuming. get a lot of angry emails? People not a lot of angry about George. emails. Writers are generally Stop quite... Stop talking about George. Yeah, <laughs> George! <laughs> People um, sort of they didn't know. write his books. <laughs> I would say one thing as well that I think will come out in a few years' time, and I'm, I can just put this out there because you know, 
if you're listening to this in a few years, tell me if I was wrong. Um, <laughs> with with the with the world becoming more of a multipolar world, and you know Donald Trump, president of the United States, I was reading a, a New York Times article about the um, the actual how it spurred creativity in the artists so far. The the fact that there's this kind of adversarial uh, yes. polarizing yeah. character who's um, now the president of the United States and was threatening arts funding at one stage, despite right. it being such a small percentage of funds, um, it's actually spurred people on to create works. And I think we might see uh, some of that coming out, some of that uh, writing that's been spurred on by Trump. Now, what that's going to look like, I have no idea. Um, but I think the uncertainty we see in the world could well end up getting reflected on the page because there is uncertainty right now uh, in terms of how things are going to go if, if America withdraws more from the world, who then sets the agenda for where we're going as a... As humanity, well, it's a, now we're getting really big in the concept, yeah. you know, but I wonder if that uncertainty will come out in a few years on the page. Yeah, I thinking back now, the, what you were talking about before the rise of kind of dystopias, mm. and that I guess late 2010 was yeah. when they started springing yeah. up with the Hunger Games. Mm. Like, it did that reflect people's fear of the future that they saw on coming or you know mm. did writing about this stuff yeah. help bring it about like what this is one of the really interesting questions for me like is is fiction kind of prescient in that sense it's interesting to me that these stories about you know totalitarian yeah. regimes yeah. rising to power rose you know kind of five six years before we saw what might be the rise of a totalitarian regime in the united states Hmm. um did yeah did people see it coming were they afraid of it already i think the the fact that dystopian fiction rose to this height of popularity Mm. when it did is is i don't know a little interesting a little strange yeah Mm. the it's even reflected in in writers that have you know seen something or seen some some great calamity right mm. and people always talk about you know the age of chivalry dying roundabout world war ii you know being right. that fine yeah, like yeah. world war one was war. that war where mm. everyone realized that warfare is not mm. gentle it's sure. not it's not glorious it's this war that people are fighting in trenches and getting trench foot and mm. you know dying in the most horrible ways and must guess etc yep um and it was someone um, I was reading this um, article of talking about World War One pilots. Mm. They were the last knights, sure, because they looked at each other. Yeah, like when uh, they, they when they were firing they at knew each, each other. other. Yeah. yeah, they were looking across and they could see the face of the opponent. That kind of stopped. You know that that pretty much ended with them. Sure. And now warfare is fought over you know great distances. We don't know who we're killing. Yeah, they're faceless men and women, and they die. And warfare changed. So now we have World War II come around, and it's this war that changes people's perception of it. Um, and then you have Tolkien come come out of World War II mm-hmm. um, and being a reaction of that. Yeah. You can see that very easily reflected in, in things like Isengard and these... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even though Moorcock is very critical of Tolkien, I, I, I think for me I'm not because Tolkien was looking at machinery and weaponized machinery negatively mm, sure simply because that's what that's what killed his friends yeah it was right? his direct like, experience it's yep. it's absolutely yeah. makes sense that that would be the enemy of um mm. is that the closer we get to a utopian ideal which is a utopian ideal so we won't mm. uh is the closer we get to our own destruction Right, so the fantasy that he was reflecting in 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 talking, and people can read this in different ways, yeah. is that yes, he was looking back at a time with nostalgia, mm. um, but he was pining for it because that's what was lost. Mm. Um, so it was reflected in his fantasy. So while I think fantasy can definitely be a refl- uh, um, sort of the 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 crystal ball that we gaze into and we can see what's happening mm. i think you know, it can also be that kind of mirror of being like this is where we yeah. this is where we were and this is where where mm. we've come from right yep. um and i think that is why tolkien even till today is um infinitely transferable to like modern day issues like you can pick up tolkien you can read it today and you can still cry you know what i mm. mean um it's it's funny because the the most effective piece of work that Tolkien I think wrote from from my personal opinion was the Children of Huron, which wasn't all wrote by him. Right. It was finished off by mm. Christopher Tolkien. So, mm. um, but the Shakespearean Hamlet esque quality of the book, you know, resonates. Mm. Mm. Um, 
And while we say that a lot of media comes from a time that we can't identify with because we don't know the problems, I think mm. those problems are now replaying enough that we can. Yeah. Um, final comments about fantasy, where you're in it at the moment in your own writing and where you see it going. Let's start with you, Ian. Well, I, th- I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see in the future um, whatever, whatever happens in the world, whether there's conflict or um, whether we skip that and we move into a, a time of, uh, you know, greater growth and economic prosperity it'll be interesting to see the wave kind of get ridden there and and i'm i hope that there'll be a time in the not too distant future when we look back on the dystopian books and we say gee we were in a really dark place yeah. as a, <laughs> we had a rough time as a race yeah as a yeah. human race we really were in a dark yeah. place it wasn't great so you know I, i'd love for that to be kind of where we get to um yeah, and for me personally, I, I I do read. I often read to escape myself. I think that's what I, I enjoy doing, and I think I still write that way as well. So I, while I, I do personally touch on some of the harsh issues of life, I try to keep that escapism to the fore. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where things go. I, I look forward to perhaps some uh, some relief from the dystopia <laughs> as we go. <laughs> Absolutely. Jake? Uh, I think you probably have a more optimistic mindset than I do um, <laughs> I, I tend to be quite pessimistic by nature um, mm. but I, like I said before I, I do believe it is the artist's responsibility to reflect mm. the yeah. issues and problems and mood of their time um, and I don't think that's an unhealthy thing so while fantasy in general might be taking a darker grimmer tone uh, I, I think it's, it's healthy to explore those darker and more mm. I guess traditionally viewed negative emotions um, I think there's still some incredibly powerful writing out there being done, some amazing characters being written. Um, and yeah, if if I was a kid growing up, uh, you know, if, if I was getting into fantasy mm. now, um, yeah, there'd be no shortage of incredible writers to fall in love with. I, I think the, we tend to have a rose-colored mm. view of a writer like Tolkien and I'm, I'm not mm. dismissing Tolkien at all. And he's the reason yeah. I fell in love with fantasy in the first place. The Hobbit was the first fantasy book that I read. Um, but as far as formative works go, I don't think that we should be looking into the past so much as the future, looking for the next Tolkien, the mm-hmm. next That's writer cool. who's going to create the next Middle-earth. Fantastic. I like that. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed our chat on fantasy and just general conversation around it. Uh, it's quite casual. We just really want to bounce ideas, talk about things that might come up. Um, and as always, completely unscripted. Um, <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be doing this very soon uh, with another guest talking about science fiction. Um, and that is something that I've, you know, I've dipped my toe in, so it'll be very much me... Um, listening intently. Um, I want to thank Jay. Thanks for coming. Thanks on. so much for having us. It was a lot of fun. Have you? Where can people find your work? What have you got coming out for us? Uh, so my next published work is God's Grave, which is the sequel to Nevernight. Uh, that's coming out in September of this year, and beginning of next year in March we have the third book in the Illumino Files coming out, and in May I have a book called Lifelike, which is the first in a new YA science fiction series. It's kind of post-collapse Mad Max meets Romeo and Juliet meets Blade Runner, I guess. It's kind of Mad Max with androids. So that's starting... uh, It'll be out on Alan Irwin here in Australia and Random House in the States. And yeah, that kicks off in May of next year. Fantastic. Easy boy. In where can people find you? Where can people get your stuff? Yeah, so um, I am on Twitter at IHLaking. That's the easiest way to find me. Uh, Come and say hi. Um, and tell them Ian sent you. No, I got no idea. That's uh, good. <laughs> I'll be on, I'll be on Twitter tweeting gifts. Uh, it'll be good. And uh, currently working on um, um, my ongoing work. Uh, now I've got my uh, manuscript back from the editor, so I'm I'm up to my pitching. You can follow my uh, publishing journey on my blog at ihlaking.com. Fantastic. Well, you will expect a podcast in two weeks, and uh, I believe we have the wonderful Kim Kane to come along and chat to us about writing in YA. Um, so we hope that you join us for that episode. You can find The Morning Bell at the morning... The underscore Morning Bell on Twitter. It's always hard. Yep. Um, and <laughs> themorningbell.com.au. It's his website. Um, plenty of archives for you to dig into. We're up to our 62nd episode, I think, with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so going strong. And we hope to provide you with more quality content as the year uh, drones on. We hope to catch you in two weeks, and we'll see you then.